Kings chapter 10, we are going to be reading the first nine verses in this chapter. The scripture says, And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices, and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. Let's pray. Our most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day you've given us and for this time you've given us to gather together and worship you. And right now as we get into the preaching, I just ask that you would just get in this message, Lord. Right now I step to the side and yield it to you. I pray that you would speak to the people here and the people listening in through me. And this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the first thing I want to point out in this passage that I just preached from, it says, And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, not regarding all of his great achievements, not regarding all of his grand accomplishments, but it says concerning the name of the Lord, meaning the testimony of Solomon's faith in God. That's when she came to prove him. It wasn't talking about all the other things that defined his majesty and his glory, but it's talking about his fame concerning the name of the Lord meaning his testimony. That's a very big thing in our day and age for us as Christians today is our testimonies. People will not want anything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ if they do not see us living for him. It doesn't matter how much we share the gospel with them. It doesn't matter how much We tell them till we're blue in the face that we're Christians, which in my opinion, if you have to tell someone you're a Christian, you're doing something wrong. But what matters is our testimony, how we are living for God in the eyes of men. She came and proved him. And going down to verse 7, she testifies and said that the half had not been told to her meaning everything that she had witnessed, the way Solomon acted, the way Solomon spoke, the way Solomon dressed, 
the way those associated with Solomon dressed, the way those associated with Solomon acted, how happy they were around him. The list goes on and on and on. The half had not been told to her. Whenever it comes to our testimony in Jesus Christ, will people be able to say the half has not been told? Or will they just toss it by the wayside? I have four things written down here regarding the half had not been told. Half had not been told about what? As Christians, what are we to testify about when it comes to Jesus Christ? I've gotten down here, number one, as the wisdom of the king. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24 defines Christ as being both the wisdom and power of God. Regarding the wisdom of Jesus Christ, in Luke chapter 11, verse 31, talking about those in his own country, they marveled at how he had such wisdom. But it wasn't because they wanted to believe on the things that he said. They marveled because of their unbelief. They had no desire to believe the things that left Jesus' mouth. They were left dumbfounded and dumbstruck that the son of a carpenter was able to have such wisdom. That the son of Mary was able to have such wisdom. That's what they were marveling about. But Jesus testifies and says that, He is greater than Solomon, meaning he is greater than the wisest man that ever walked on the earth. Why? Because Jesus is the source of that man's wisdom. If you recall, whenever God asked Solomon what it was that he wanted, Solomon could have asked for anything and God would have given it to him. But he chose the greatest thing that anyone could ask for, and that is wisdom. Because he chose wisdom, both land and riches were added to Solomon. Because he chose wisdom. Had he chosen riches or land or fame, those would have been given to him. But because he chose wisdom, all of those things were added unto him. Goes along with Matthew 6, 33, which says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You have absolutely nothing to worry about if you are seeking God's kingdom first and foremost. You have absolutely nothing to worry about if you are seeking God above all else. Because if you are seeking God above all else, you have nothing to worry about. Your needs are being met. That is all that you have to be concerned with is your needs. God is supplying those. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The half's not been told. We're talking about the wisdom of the king. Jesus was marveled by those in his own country. And yet still they believed him not. Talking about the power of the king. Look at all the miracles Jesus performed. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. The lame walked, the dumb spoke, and he even raised the dead. And still people did not believe that he was the only begotten Son of God. 
The religious crowd knew exactly who he was and they rejected him. Talking about the power of the king, the power to save souls. Look at us. The Word of God says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Going back to John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He has the power to save souls. He has the power to change lives. He was the source of Jonah's power. And he, Jesus even described himself as being greater than Jonah. Think about it for a moment. Jesus has the power to save souls. He saved your soul from hell whenever you received him as your savior. He has the power to change lives. Just look at who you were before you got saved as opposed to who you became after you got saved. I am living proof of this. I am not the same person I was before I got saved. I do not like that person I was before I got saved, and I am thankful I am no longer that individual. That person was dead and buried whenever I received Christ as my Savior. He has the power to change our lives. He calls us into his service. The half's not been told, talking about the death of the king as well. The ultimate display of his love, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That display of love was also for our sins. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4 says, For I have delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. His death, burial, and resurrection brought us life. Isaiah 53 says, For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 57. It says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass, saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ." Down to verse 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us life, and through that life we have the power to stand on His Word. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. If we're not standing in the power of Jesus Christ, if we're not standing in the power of God, we are not going to be able to defend against the attacks of the devil. We're not going to be able to properly be witnesses for Jesus Christ in this world if we are trying to do so in our own power. How can you tell if someone is doing it in their own power? They're not doing it according to the word of God. When it comes to you and your testimony, will people be able to tell whose you are? Or are you going to have to tell them who you belong to? Will they be able to tell that you're saved? How would they be able to tell? By the way you walk, by the way you talk, by the way you act, by the way you dress even. Will they be able to tell what you believe? How would they be able to tell what you believe? Again, going back to how you live. If you believe what the Word of God says, you are going to act accordingly. We should be able to live life in such a way that people will ask questions about us, like, what is so different about you? What changed about you? You are not the same person I knew these so many years ago. How did you change? Will they be able to tell your walk with God? Will they be able to tell your prayer life? The parts of a tree that are visible to us are only one-third of the tree's actual size beneath the ground. Its roots being triple the size of the canopy that we see at the top. Are you going to be deeply rooted in God and His Word, or are you going to be shallow to the point that the slightest breeze or the slightest storm in life would make you topple over? Again, the half's not been told. Will people be able to tell that about you and your testimony in Jesus Christ to the point that they are going to come and inquire about why you are the way that you are? until they come to the point that they are going to be able to ask you, what is so different about you? What changed? Then you would be able to tell them about what Jesus Christ did for you. Then you would be able to tell them about how Jesus Christ saved your soul, about how he changed your life from the inside out. be able to tell them about the ultimate display of God's love on the cross and be able to tell them how they will be able to be saved from a devil's hell too if they receive Christ as their Savior. We can constantly talk about doctrine and standards with people until we're blue in the face, but until they finally get saved, they're not going to be able to begin to understand, much less apply those things to their lives. Oftentimes, we're quick to overlook people because of the walk of life they came from, as opposed to the fact that they are lost souls in need of a Savior. 
How can we expect to have any outreach if we stop people at the door and do not let them through? Or how can we expect to have any form of outreach if we ourselves are not willing to reach out to those around us, be it in our neighborhoods or at our workplaces? How can we expect people to come to our church if we are not out living according to the word of God? Yeah, they see you at work. Yeah, they see you around your house. But that's just only a fraction of who you are. Are you putting on a facade and fooling them? Or are you being the real deal? How can you tell a counterfeit from a real one? Hang around the real long enough and you'll be able to spot a fake one right off. That's how you're able to tell. Whenever it comes to handling money, that's how you're able to tell the real from the counterfeit. If you handle the real enough, you're going to be able to spot a fake one right away. Differences might be subtle, but they are there. You can fool people for only so long until they finally become aware that you're a fake. So just be real. Live according to the word of God. Are you a Christian? What does that mean? Are you Christ-like in character and in conduct? That does not simply just mean that you've received Christ as your Savior, even though that's what people have generalized it into saying, and that's what we mean whenever we say that we're Christians, is that we're saved. Being a Christian is much more different than being a churchgoer. Being a Christian is is much more different than just joining some sort of high and mighty society or some sort of club or organization at school or being part of some form of extracurricular activity outside of work or school. It is much, much, much more than just being here on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights. Much like the canopy of a tree, that is only a fraction of of what people see is how you are here in the house of God, how you are at work, how you are out and about in the public. That is just a fraction of who you are. And when you get down to the deep bare bones of it, are you going to be deeply rooted in God's word or are you going to be shallow? That depends on how much time you spend in prayer and in the word of God. And how are you going to live for Jesus in the eyes of this world if you cannot live for him at your home, if you cannot live for him at your work, if you cannot live for him at your church? How can you expect people to want what you have in Christ whenever you're not even bearing the fruits of it for people to see? The Queen of Sheba didn't come to investigate Solomon's wisdom until she had first heard about his fame concerning the name of the Lord. She came to investigate his testimony. And it was beyond everything she had ever heard. Are people going to be able to say the same thing about you? Or are they just going to be like, oh, that's just another hypocrite? Or be like, oh, that's just another church member? 
oh, they just warm a pew on a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, a Wednesday night, and do nothing outside of that. Oh, that's a person that just leaves their Bible in the pew throughout the week, never bothers picking it up to read it. You see where I'm going with this? There is more to us than meets the eye. Getting down to the nitty-gritty of it, these are the core things that make us who we are in Christ. The salvation that we are given is the foundation of our testimonies. And if you take away living for Jesus, that testimony of salvation is going to be all that you have. And people are going to call that into question if they do not see you living according to how you are to live in the Word of God. This week, I would like to challenge each and every one of you. Take a piece of paper and begin writing down for each day the things that you can do to improve your relationship with God and begin acting upon those things. The areas that you are weakest in, write them down and lift those weaknesses up to God in prayer. That way God can strengthen you in those things. So often it is so easy to go on about our weeks without picking up the Word of God without looking at a single page in it. So often it is so easy for us to get up and go without paying any second thought to prayer, without paying any second thought to the things of God, because we are in a rut, because we are constantly in the workflow, because we are constantly busy. We are in a society where you basically have to work to be able to live. And in that type of society, it is so easy to lose sight of the foundational things that make you who you are. So before you go to work, when you wake up, when you lay your head to rest, start it off with the Word of God. That's my challenge to you this week. If you're saved... You should have a desire for the things of God. If you're backslid, maybe that desire has been quenched. It needs to be restarted. It needs to be refueled. And just relying on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights for your Christian living is not a very healthy lifestyle. Yes, you need to meet in church. But you also need to be living for Jesus outside of church as well. 